Working remotely, where you are shouldn't dictate what you do. Work from the road by turning your vehicle into a reliable high-speed data Wi-Fi hotspot with AT&T in-car Wi-Fi. On the network that covers more roads than any other carrier, take your work on the road and AT&T will be there to keep you connected. Connect up to 10 devices and stream conference calls, finish up that presentation, or answer last-minute emails. Why wait? Go to att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi today for free trial eligibility. Based on independent third-party data, number of devices varies by manufacturer. Always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. Running a business is no cakewalk, but with SAP Concur Solutions, you can be ready for anything. You can manage travel, expenses, and AP all on one platform that's packed with AI and best practices, and that delivers it all through an easy, clear, I can't believe how simple that is experience. So while not much can be done about that guy who never fails to burn the microwave popcorn and stink up the entire office, with SAP Concur, you can easily handle almost anything else. Take control of your business finances today at concur.com. That's C-O-N-C-U-R dot com. Whether it's her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct has everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast, and hear from the minds transforming healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more with the help of AI. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Tech Stuff, a production from iHeartRadio. Hey there, and welcome to Tech Stuff. I'm your host, Jonathan Strickland. I'm an executive producer with iHeartRadio. And how the tech are ya? It's time for the tech news for Tuesday, September 6th, 2022. Let's get to it. And last week in the news episode, I talked about how NASA had to scrub the planned Artemis 1 launch due to sensors indicating that one of the engines in the Space Launch System, or SLS, failed to get down to the proper temperature. The Artemis project is NASA's plan to return astronauts to the moon and to set up stuff like lunar bases, including a lunar space station, with the idea that those assets in the future will support missions to Mars. Anyway, I mentioned last week that NASA had pushed the launch to this past Saturday, and if it didn't happen on Saturday, they would have another chance today, Tuesday. Well, the launch didn't happen on Saturday, and it's not going to happen today either. The culprit responsible for the scrub this time was a quote-unquote large hydrogen leak. That's according to mission manager Michael Serafin. 
And these sorts of things happen. NASA's history is filled with scrubbed launches and engineering issues. From one point of view, this is a good thing, because NASA detected an issue and stopped it before it could escalate into something like an accident. Now keep in mind, this particular mission, the Artemis 1, has no crew on it. There are no human beings aboard the spacecraft. But obviously, you never want there to be an accident. There's always a risk, not just to equipment, but to human life. Anyway, that didn't happen. However, the scrub also comes as a big disappointment because the SLS has been in development for a really long time. Uh, it was originally part of the now shelved Constellation program, so it's been a long time coming. The, the idea originally was that the SLS would have been in service for quite some time by now. So obviously, each delay comes as a, a, a setback and a disappointment. Now, I mentioned last week that NASA often faces challenges when it comes to tackling huge projects due to the fact that the agency has to depend upon the government for funding. And then when there are shifts in the government due to, you know, elections changing things up, well, what once seemed like a solid plan can disappear. Thus, the Constellation program. Although that program had so many problems with it uh, due to lots of different factors. Anyway, NASA has to address the problems with the SLS, and the agency essentially has two options. Uh, time is running out, however. So option one is to try and do the repairs on the launch pad itself. Now, that would require NASA to also construct an environmental enclosure around the launch vehicle while they do this work. But on the pad, NASA can actually test the system at cryogenic temperatures. So the temperatures that the engines would be operating at during a launch, they can lower those temperatures down for those kind of tests on the pad. However, time for doing that is starting to run out. Like there is a deadline for that because there are other launches that have to happen. So the pad has to be cleared and prepared for the next set of launches. So the other option is to transport the space launch system back to the Vehicle Assembly Building, or VAB, and to do repairs there. However, in the VAB, they cannot lower the SLS down to cryogenic temperatures to do their tests. They can't do that inside the VAB, which means that any tests they do are going to be done at ambient temperatures and could potentially miss issues that will emerge under actual operating conditions. And if NASA does use the VAB, then the SLS will have to stay put for a while because there won't be enough time to bring it back out before the next launch, which is a scheduled trip to the International Space Station. And that would mean that the earliest that the SLS would be able to try again would be in October. Space is hard, y'all. Tomorrow, which is Wednesday, September 7th, for those of you from the future who, for some reason, have decided to listen to an old tech news episode, Apple is holding its September event, where we expect to see unveilings of the iPhone 14. The Pro and Pro Max models, though the Pro Max might actually get a name change and be called the Pro Plus, they're likely to receive the most attention. The base model probably won't be talked about nearly as much. Now watch me eat those words after tomorrow. We'll see. But rumor has it that Apple is adding in some new privacy and security features around the camera and phone in particular. Now, if I had to guess, I would say that this is in part a reaction to malware like Pegasus. 
which the Israeli company NSO Group developed and then sold to various clients, including authoritarian governments. So the Pegasus malware exploited a vulnerability long since patched now, but a vulnerability in Apple's iMessage app where if you knew the phone number of your intended target, you could send them a message. And that message, just by hitting the target phone, would turn that phone into a surveillance device that you could then control. That would give you the chance to listen in on the phone's microphone and whatever the camera could see and spy on your target. So my guess is that Apple has created some features that will indicate when the camera and microphone are in use so that owners will be aware when their phones are, you know, snooping on them or when an app is making use of a camera or the microphone. And it might not be obvious in the app itself, but users need to know that they might be on camera or on mic. Analysts expect that the Pro and the Pro Max or Pro Plus models will likely sport Apple's new A16 processor and that the base iPhone 14 will stick with the A15 processor that's used in the last generation of the iPhone. We'll probably also see some new Apple Watch models, maybe some new AirPods. As for what else we'll see, well, there are a lot of rumors, but nothing really confirmed. Uh, One question is, are we finally going to get a look at the mixed reality headset that Apple has been working on, also known as Apple's second worst kept secret, the first being Apple's electric vehicle project? If we do, that would surprise me. Uh, There is at least one analyst who thinks that Apple might have a mixed reality headset on the market by early next year. And if that's true, then maybe we will get a glimpse of it tomorrow. Uh, I am not holding my breath. I I mean, they could make that a one more thing and, and make it a big, big splash. Or they might save that for its own dedicated event where they can just have an entire presentation around mixed reality. I honestly don't know which way they'll go. The folks at Apple are artists when it comes to PR. So we'll just have to wait and see what happens tomorrow. And if there's no information about mixed reality, we know we're going to have to wait a while. Also in Apple news, Brazil's government has ordered Apple to stop selling iPhones without a battery charger in the country. And the government says that Apple's practice of not including a battery charger hurts consumers because then they have to go out and buy a charger in addition to their phone. Now, Apple says it made the move to stop including chargers because, you know, chargers, first of all, they're interchangeable, at least for Apple iPhones anyway. So really, you just need one, right? You buy an iPhone, you can use that same charger for the next iPhone you buy two years later. So even if you buy an iPhone every couple of generations, you can keep using the old charger. Now, in the EU, this goes even further because the EU is requiring phone manufacturers to all adopt the USB-C charging port as a standard, which includes telling Apple that future iPhones in the EU are supposed to include such a port. And the goal there is to reduce compatibility issues and waste, because then you just have to buy one charger for whatever phone you use, and that same charger will work on any phone you buy from that point forward until standards change again, where we you know have to upgrade. Brazil, meanwhile, is claiming that there's no evidence that not including a charger has any significance when it comes to environmental impact. In other words, Apple's not saving the world by not including a battery charger with their iPhones, and that Apple will have to include them if it wants to sell iPhones in Brazil. 
also in Brazil, an advocacy group called Some of Us, that's S-U-M of Us, says that Meta slash Facebook has been boosting rhetoric and information from Bolsonaro in his bid to hold on to the presidency. Bolsonaro has been polling poorly as of late, and Some of Us says that he has turned to using social media platforms to push a narrative claiming that the integrity of the vote in Brazil is in question. Essentially, Bolsonaro is laying groundwork to question any election results that are not in his favor. The group claims that Meta has allowed Bolsonaro and his campaign to leverage Facebook to spread this misinformation freely, with no signs of content moderation or steps to label such posts as containing misinformation. While we've seen Meta make at least some moves to address misinformation campaigns here in the United States, it has long been said that the company fails to take such steps in non-English-speaking countries. So places like Brazil receive even less protection against misinformation campaigns than we do here in the States. The group published a report that does not mince words. It is titled, Stop the Steel 2.0, How Meta is Subverting Brazilian Democracy. The group is calling on Meta to invest in content moderation to ensure that all political ads meet both Meta's criteria and they don't break Brazilian laws, and to do a better job at assessing and then addressing threats to human rights that are coming from Facebook profiles and groups. Oh, also, allowing third parties to come in and evaluate Facebook's own investigation and mitigation actions to see if the company is actually following through on what reps have repeatedly claimed in an effort to be more transparent. All right, we've got several more stories, but before we get to that, let's take a quick break. Working remotely, where you are shouldn't dictate what you do. Work from the road by turning your vehicle into a reliable high-speed data Wi-Fi hotspot with AT&T in-car Wi-Fi. On the network that covers more roads than any other carrier, take your work on the road and AT&T will be there to keep you connected. Connect up to 10 devices and stream conference calls, finish up that presentation, or answer last-minute emails. Why wait? Go to att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi today for free trial eligibility. Based on independent third-party data, number of devices varies by manufacturer. Always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. Running a business is no cakewalk. There is a ton to keep track of. Employees to keep happy, spending to control, travel to plan, and on top of it all, nobody knows exactly what the future holds. Your finance team always has to be ready to change. But with SAP Concur Solutions, you can be ready for anything. You can manage travel, expenses, and AP all on one platform that's packed with AI and best practices. And that delivers it all through an easy, clear, I can't believe how simple that is, experience. And you can finally say goodbye to the costly mistakes and risks that come from manual work and spreadsheets. So, while not much can be done about that guy who never fails to burn the microwave popcorn and stink up the entire office, with SAP Concur, you can easily handle almost anything else. Take control of your business finances today at concur.com. That's C-O-N-C-U-R dot com. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast from Ruby Studio in partnership with Intel. 
explore the future of technology that's rapidly evolving our world today with the help of AI. There is still so much work and research needed to fully understand the power and potential of AI, and Intel is at the forefront of implementing AI and revolutionary technology that's changing the world we live in for the better. In each episode, Graham interviews the minds transforming medicine and healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more while pioneering new uses for AI in these spaces. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Like many of us, you might think identity theft will never happen to you. But consider this. There's a new identity theft victim every three seconds in the U.S. That's over 15 million people by the end of this year, equal to the populations of New York, Los Angeles, and Chicago combined. Even worse, identity theft victims often don't even know they're victims. That's why LifeLock Identity Theft Protection alerts you to identity threats, even the ones that don't show up on a credit report, like data breaches, fraudulent bank transactions, loan and credit card applications, and crimes committed in your name. If your identity is stolen, your own dedicated LifeLock U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. LifeLock protects you in ways that you simply can't on your own. Join now and save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash iHeart. That's LifeLock.com slash iHeart to save up to 25%. Identity theft protection starts here. Next up, we've got kind of a whirlwind news item. All right, so earlier this week, some cybersecurity analysts spread word that there was evidence of a data breach over at TikTok and that hackers might have accessed a ton of user information in the process, as well as TikTok's own source code. In fact, some reports said as many as 2 billion different data records could have been stolen. And early on, some analysts were urging users to update their passwords, and also to enable multi-factor authentication in order to protect their accounts. As I always say, it's a good idea to enable multi-factor authentication if you have that option. You should do it. It is a great way to provide extra protection for your online accounts. I know it can be a hassle when you're logging in and you're like, I need to put in a code. I get that, but it is incredibly helpful for keeping your stuff protected. Anyway, a Twitter user with the account named Blue Hornet, who is uh, reportedly with a hacker group calling themselves Against the West, claimed that the data was found on an Alibaba cloud account with only a weak password protecting it, that they were able to find this password through uh, a WeChat messaging exchange and all this other stuff. And that obviously launched an understandable tirade against TikTok from folks about the alleged poor security. Like, if this story is true, then, you know, it is it is almost criminal how poor the security was to protect all this user information. However, TikTok reps said they took a look at the code that was posted to various hacker forums and said the code in question is completely unrelated to TikTok's back-end source code. So, 
They're implying that the hackers are, I think the technical term is lying out of their behinds about hacking into TikTok's systems. And some early investigations into the posted data seem to indicate that at least some of it was either public-facing information, meaning you don't need to hack anything because it's literally public info, or it could have been test data used for production purposes and reflected no real data. So in other words, when TikTok is building out something in its service, it has to use test data to make sure that, you know, the something works properly. But that test data doesn't reflect any real person's information. It would be like if you had to create an account called Joe Public just to test some features on an online tool you had created. Well, Joe Public's not a real person in this case. I mean, there probably is someone out there called Joe Public who has parents who think their sense of humor is more important than their child's mental health. But anyway, the whole point is that test data is not real information about people, right? So in short, if the hackers really did access information, they could be in possession of around 2 billion data records, which is, you know, a lot, plus the alleged source code for TikTok. That's one possibility. Or it could be that the hackers have cobbled together or copied some data records that are publicly available, or they represent meaningless test data, and that there was no actual exposure of real private information. We will have to keep our eyes on this to see how it unfolds because, I mean, I honestly don't know whether TikTok was hacked or not. Um, you know, Again, the company says, no, we were not. There's no evidence of that. Everything that's been posted isn't from our systems. And the hackers are claiming we totes did it. Uh, it's not like I feel inclined to just automatically believe either group. So I'm going to wait for more evidence to come out. In a TikTok-related news story, ByteDance is shutting down some of its gaming sectors inside the company. So ByteDance is the parent company, the Chinese parent company that owns TikTok. Um, of course, I should add that TikTok has long maintained that it operates practically independently of ByteDance, that there is little connective tissue between the two. Uh, that's something that often comes up when there are discussions about whether or not TikTok represents a potential danger to things like national security. Anyway, ByteDance also, you know, poured millions of dollars, hundreds of millions of dollars into developing video game uh, divisions within the company to help create games that could maybe leverage the hundreds of millions of users of TikTok and make more money off of them, <laughs> essentially is what we're getting down to. However, in China, the Chinese government has been taking an increasingly strict response to the video game industry and to video games in particular, uh, you know, reviewing games for any material that could be considered objectionable by the Chinese government standards, which would obviously be required to have all of that stripped or else that game would never make it to markets in China, at least not legally. And a lot of companies in China that had been focusing on video games are now looking to kind of spread out from the Chinese market or to abandon the sector entirely because that intense amount of scrutiny has made it very difficult to do business in China. So we've seen the company Tencent, which is famous for having a stake in numerous video game companies around the world, really push to increase that stake 
in companies like Ubisoft that are centered outside of China, potentially because that's an avenue for them to make revenue without having to, you know, kowtow to the Chinese government's demands. Um, Yeah, so doing business in China has always been kind of a risky proposition because the government is so extremely hands-on when it comes to the business sector. And we're starting to see now uh, companies realize that, especially once they reach a certain size, that continuing to do business in specific areas within China is untenable. China has also accused the United States of conducting, quote, tens of thousands, end quote, of cyber attacks against Chinese companies and institutions, including a university, which, you know, could be true because cyber warfare is definitely a thing. And China definitely knows a thing or two about it, as there are reportedly several large, well-funded hacker groups operating in and around China and with Chinese support, although the government staunchly denies that's the case, but no one believes them. China has said that the NSA, the National Security Agency, has infiltrated computer systems belonging to the Northwestern Polytechnical University of Xi'an. The NSA has not responded, at least not publicly, to this accusation. Now, could it be an accurate accusation? Um, Yeah, I don't see why not. I mean, NSA did a heck of a job planting surveillance on U.S.-based communication systems. We all heard about that, about how we were all being spied upon by the NSA, thanks to them planting essentially snoops at every major connection point within the communications infrastructure of the United States. I can only imagine what the NSA would do in order to devote some of that expertise toward uh, conducting espionage on China. Still, we should always be skeptical of any communications from China. You know, you can't just take that on face value. So while there's nothing in this story that immediately makes me say, well, that's impossible or that's a lie, there's also nothing solid in this story that would make me say China's 100% telling the truth. Uh, I just don't know enough in this case. But it, it certainly is plausible. It doesn't mean that it's actually true. However, again, cyber warfare is a real thing. And, you know, we often hear stories about how hackers working on behalf of China or North Korea or Russia were infiltrating various systems in the United States. I can guarantee you that the same sort of of ops are happening within the U.S. against targets like China, Russia and North Korea. Um, We don't tend to hear about them. But you know that has to be happening because for it not to be happening is just naive. Okay, we've got a couple more news stories to cover before we finish this episode out. So let's take another quick break. Working remotely, where you are shouldn't dictate what you do. Work from the road by turning your vehicle into a reliable high-speed data Wi-Fi hotspot with AT&T in-car Wi-Fi. On the network that covers more roads than any other carrier, take your work on the road and AT&T will be there to keep you connected. Connect up to 10 devices and stream conference calls, finish up that presentation, or answer last-minute emails. Why wait? Go to att.com in-car Wi-Fi today for free trial eligibility. 
Based on independent third-party data, number of devices varies by manufacturer. Always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. Running a business is no cakewalk. There is a ton to keep track of. Employees to keep happy, spending to control, travel to plan, and on top of it all, nobody knows exactly what the future holds. Your finance team always has to be ready to change. But with SAP Concur Solutions, you can be ready for anything. You can manage travel, expenses, and AP all on one platform that's packed with AI and best practices. And that delivers it all through an easy, clear, I can't believe how simple that is, experience. And you can finally say goodbye to the costly mistakes and risks that come from manual work and spreadsheets. So, while not much can be done about that guy who never fails to burn the microwave popcorn and stink up the entire office, with SAP Concur, you can easily handle almost anything else. Take control of your business finances today at concur.com. That's C-O-N-C-U-R dot com. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast from Ruby Studio in partnership with Intel. Explore the future of technology that's rapidly evolving our world today with the help of AI. There is still so much work and research needed to fully understand the power and potential of AI. And Intel is at the forefront of implementing AI and revolutionary technology that's changing the world we live in for the better. In each episode, Graham interviews the minds transforming medicine and healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more, while pioneering new uses for AI in these spaces. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Had enough of those supplements that leave you feeling nothing? Symbiotica is your solution to great-tasting all-natural supplements that actually work. Crafted with premium plant-based ingredients, their products have no seed oils, fillers, or artificial nonsense. It's just pure goodness in every pouch. Try them out and actually feel the difference today. Visit Symbiotica.com and use code IHEART for 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Again, that's 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Go to Symbiotica.com. That's C-Y-M-B-I-O-T-I-K-A.com. We're back. The Data Protection Commission, or DPC, in Ireland has levied more than $400 million in fines against Meta. The DPC says that Meta mishandled personal data belonging to teen Instagram users, failing to comply with the data privacy standards of the EU. Specifically, the investigation looked into how privacy settings would change if a teenage user switched from a personal account to a business account. So Instagram's business accounts provide users with more analytics than they would get if they were just using a regular personal Instagram account. So sometimes influencers or people who want to be influencers will switch to a business account for that reason. But a business account would make contact information publicly available. And if the user was under the age of 18, that would be a problem because it violates privacy laws under GDPR in the EU. The DPC also says that Meta made some accounts public by default, even if the accounts were being held by underage users. 
Now, Meta, for its part, says that it addressed the public by default problem a year ago. This entire investigation has taken a couple of years in total, so it actually spans from before Meta made those changes. Uh, The company also plans to appeal this fine. The U.S. Federal Trade Commission, or FTC, is investigating Amazon's planned acquisition of a couple of companies, namely iRobot, which is the, the maker of the popular Roomba vacuum cleaner, and a healthcare company called One Medical. Now, the purpose of the investigation is to determine if Amazon's purchases of these companies represent anti-competitive behavior, that Amazon would be uh, significantly reducing competition in these various markets. So part of the concern is that not long after Amazon announced it was acquiring One Medical, which was back in July of this year, Amazon then said it was going to shut down its own virtual health service. Now, the FTC might see this as Amazon admitting that it wasn't able to compete in the healthcare space. So rather than support their own in-house department, they just bought the competition, which would be anti-competitive behavior. It's also something that we've seen lots of. Like, it's only been recently that we've started to see the FTC kind of oppose this kind of of, uh, strategy. Uh, I'm reminded of the 80s and 90s in the uh, the cable industry, like the actual cable company industry here in the United States, buying up all your competitors was the name of the game. I mean, that's how, that's how Comcast got as big as it was. It wasn't that the company was building out new networks. It was just buying up regional networks wherever it could. And those were in the days where the FTC really just didn't care about that. So things have changed is what I'm saying. Uh, Anyway, these investigations may not stop either acquisition in the long run. We'll have to see. Uh, They will likely impact the timing of these deals. They may take longer to complete because of these investigations. Then again, there has been this increased focus on the rise of monopolies in recent years. And a general view that big tech companies are kind of consolidating power to a point where they are dominant in their respective wedge of the tech sector. Like it it would be hard to argue that Google is not the dominant player in search, for example. So maybe the FTC will actually block this acquisition or these acquisitions from happening. We'll have to wait and see. Last week, Snap, the company behind Snapchat, shuttered a messaging app called Zenly. Now, Snap purchased Zenly back in 2017 for more than 200 million bucks, so it was quite the investment. But now, Snap is on shaky financial ground, and the company is cutting way back on expenses, and that includes holding lots of layoffs. Uh, Around 1,200 folks, or about 20% of the overall workforce, to be precise. Zenly appears to be a casualty of those cutbacks. The entire team found out about this last week. Uh, News first leaked on Twitter before Snap's CEO uh, sent the Zenly staff a letter about shutting down the service. And that is always a bad look, y'all. I mean, you never want to learn about layoffs uh, from a public source like Twitter before leaders actually address it to the people who are going to be directly affected. That's just nasty. Now, apparently, there was no chance that Snap was going to sell Zenly off to some interested buyer. Like, in other words, 
there is no hope for Zinli, much like the Batgirl film that will never be commercially released. Zenly would never be sold by Snap. Not because Snap doesn't want the money, it's because Zenly relies on IP that is critical to Snap. And that means that Snap is not going to sell Zenly because it's not willing to share this intellectual property with some other party that isn't Snap. Now this stinks and it points to something really ugly in the tech sector in particular, that there's often this push to create a, a tool or a company that's enticing enough to convince some other larger company to come along and swoop it up for a pretty penny. Like we've seen this with lots of company strategies, like their their plan isn't to grow into a viable revenue generating business, but rather to be seen as so attractive by a larger entity like Amazon or Google or Meta that one of those companies are going to come along and buy the the startup that that is like a go-to strategy in startups not all of them but a lot of them but that means that when things like this happen where a company gets bought but then later abandoned then the thing that everyone spent their time talent and effort on building has gone away and it, it feels like all of that was put to waste See also about three quarters of the projects that Google has overseen over the years. On October 1st, Masayasu Ito will be retiring from Sony. Ito is the hardware chief for the PlayStation division within Sony and has overseen the engineering of the PS4 and the PSVR headset and the PS5 during his time in that role. Now, he's retiring because he's reached the age for retirement. So this this isn't coming as a surprise. There's no drama attached. This is not he underperformed or anything like that. It's literally, it's his time to retire. Lin Tao, who has served as the SVP of Finance, Corporate Development, and Strategy at Sony Interactive Entertainment, is going to officially take over his role. Now, is it possible that Sony is looking to ramp up development on the next generation of PlayStation designs? Now that they're going to have a new hardware chief in place, like that seems like a great time to really start focusing on that. Well, it's possible, but even if that is the case, and I'm not saying it is, it's just possible. But even if it is what's happening, we're not likely to see anything new in the PlayStation world for several more years because these development cycles can take half a decade or longer. Besides, you still can't get a current generation PlayStation 5 most days due to inventory shortages. And finally, LG is joining Samsung by incorporating a feature that will let LG television owners of more recent models anyway, purchase and view NFT artwork on their TV sets. So Samsung's done this, now LG is doing this. Now there's not much to look at yet, according to The Verge's Emma Roth, who reported on this. She actually downloaded and installed the app on her TV and checked it out. And the idea is that folks who have an LG television capable of running WebOS 5.0 or higher will be able to install an app that lets them browse, purchase, and display NFT artwork. The NFTs in this case aren't on a blockchain. Instead, they are on what is called a hash graph, which sounds to me like you're trying to plot line charts on a potato. But no, hash graph is a distributed consensus platform. So in other words, it's a platform in which users, or rather their machines that are connected to the network, come to an agreement 
when it comes to stuff like the order in which transactions were made. So a ridiculously oversimplified explanation would be that the network has to come together and decide that, yes, in fact, Susie did purchase the 2022 Chiron Bugatti before Tommy bought a mint edition collection of the full set of Pokemon cards. So in that way, it is kind of similar to blockchain, but it works through a different mechanism. Another way you can think of this is that blockchain and uh, the, the hash graph work to create the same result, but they do it through a different methodology. Anyway, I don't want to put words in Emma Roth's mouth, but the article seems to at least be indifferent toward this new feature, which could largely be due to the fact that there just isn't much on there yet. But I want to say I feel pretty much the same way. It is very hard for me to imagine a world where folks are buying digital art to display on their televisions as if their TVs were framed fine art, you know, essentially turning this digital art into the uh, equivalent of a screensaver. Now, maybe I'm just too short-sighted and, and too old-fashioned, and I'm just, I just don't get it. Maybe I'm completely wrong about this. But yeah, to me, it kind of feels like when all the TV manufacturers were pushing 3D on us. It's not that we wanted 3D, but the companies needed to have new features to tout in order to sell new TVs to us. It's not enough to say, this television this year is just like the one last year, and it's just as good, so buy the new one. Like That, that doesn't get customers. You have to have something new and exciting incorporated into the television. Sometimes those are really awesome features, and a lot of times it just ends up being like meaningless bells and whistles that don't really add to the experience. This feels more like the latter to me. But again, to be fair... I am notoriously anti-NFT, at least in the way that they're being treated right now. And so I admit, I have a bias against this sort of thing, and I could be completely off base. That's it for the tech news for Tuesday, September 6, 2022. Hope you are all well. If you'd like to get in touch with me, you can do that in a couple different ways. One way is to download the iHeartRadio app. Navigate over to the Tech Stuff podcast just do a search and a little search bar will bring you right over to it. You'll see there's a little microphone icon there. If you click on that, you can leave a voice message up to 30 seconds in length and let me know what you think. Maybe any show ideas you would like me to tackle, that kind of stuff. Uh, the other way to reach out is on Twitter. The handle we use for the show is TechStuffHSW. And I'll talk to you again really soon. Tech Stuff is an iHeartRadio production. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.